Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 230 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by the infamous, the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra, Southampton's finest. Ayaz, how are you? I'm very good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. I'm hoping to whiz through this week's show. Not feeling the best this week. Um, Let's go through things as quick as possible. The review part, let's start at the Caesars Palace in Dubai. A place I wouldn't mind being, actually, right now. Um, Let's start with one of the fights. I think it was on the undercard. I'm not quite sure it was the main event, but it was a humongous upset. Former IBF world champion TJ Doheny, um, he got in there with a guy called Iron Up Baluta. Um, The guy had a record of 12-2, and obviously, Coming up against TJ Doheny, who was in one of the best fights of 2019 when he boxed in the unification against Daniel Roman. He came up short, but he came up short to Danny Roman. No shame in that, but he's lost here. He's lost unanimously, I think it was in the end, um, for Iron Up Baluta. Doheny had a point deducted himself in the eighth and final round. A total upset. No way to dress it up. It's going to be one of the biggest upsets of... Um, of 2020 already, I'm going to put that out there. Um, of, of course, there's another real big upset that we've got to mention from last weekend as well. But um, that's it for now. That's Dubai out of the way. Let's now move to um, a card that I believe happened in Poland. Um, yeah, it was with Polish heavyweight, friend of the show actually, Arta Spilka. He returned to the ring. It was a fight here at... Um, at, I think it was at Cruiserweight. It might just have been inside the heavyweight limit, actually. But he's lost a lot of weight. He's trimmed right down. And um, he took on a guy called Serhai Radchenko, who had a record of 7-5. and five. Um, It was a majority decision over 10 rounds in favor there of Mr. Artur Spilka. There's been lots and lots of... of um, you know, talk about this fight for some reason. I don't speak Polish, and I've been translating a few tweets, but I'm not sure he deserved to win, or I'm not sure that it should have been a majority decision or something like that, because I'm hearing a lot of people, dis- you know, discuss a rematch. I'm hearing a lot of people say that the scorecard was um, w- was really bad. I'm not quite sure why. If anyone did watch that, fill us in. Um, Arthur Spill got all the best to him, 24-4 and four now. Um, moving out now to the Manchester Arena in Manchester, Lancashire, United Kingdom starting with the undercard um, um, let's start with Robbie Davies Jr friend of the show, another win for him that was win number 20, he's now 20-2, and two, a points win over 8 rounds against Damien Yapur, who's now 16-17 and 17 with 3 draws um, 8 round points win there for Robbie Davies Jr, I think that's probably his first fight back since the loss to Lewis Ritson also on the bill, Jack Cullen picked up a win, he's now 18-2 and two, a TKO in the second round against Thomas Reynoso 
Um, Jack Cullen, like I say, 18-2. and two. Um, Also on the bill, Anthony Fowler, friend of the show, now 12-1. and one, A TKO in the very first round against Theophilus Tete, who has a record now of um, of 19-8 and eight with two draws. He was down four times, Tete. Um, none of the knockdowns really seemed to hurt him too much, but something was up with his shoes. It was real bizarre, real, real bizarre, especially on a stage like that. You know, his shoes were slipping everywhere. It was very, very, very um, strange and quite unexplainable and um, quite a, you know, unsatisfying way to win a fight there for Anthony Fowler. Um, Tete was annoyed at the end. Fowler was annoyed. And a lot of us watching at home were annoyed because, uh, you know, it shouldn't have gone like that. Very strange, bizarre circumstances. Welcome to boxing. Um, Huey Fury was on the was on the was on the bill. Um, a good win for him. Twenty four and three. He knocked out Pavel Sauer in three rounds. Pavel Sauer now eleven and three. Um, I remember they were they were supposed to box on the Monaco card that Huey Fury pulled out of on Fight Week, and I was quite surprised to see them get the rematch on. You know, the the rescheduled bout, if you like, not the rematch, but to reschedule it again with Pavel Sauer. You know, he brings absolutely nothing to the table. Um, you know, I can't really believe that for the past, I think that November card was um, was the Monaco one. So that's like, you know, that's like he didn't box him in November, didn't box him in December, didn't box him in January or February. So for about five months, P- Pavel Sauer has been the only name on Huey Fury's mind. It just seems quite bizarre, you know? It's a waste of time, really. And he got him out of there, and um, in good fashion, like I say, but nothing to be um, surprised about there, you know? Huey Fury should have always blown a guy like this away, and he really did that. Um, Zach Parker, a brilliant win for him. 19-0 and now. He beat Rohan Murdoch over 11 rounds, actually. A TKO in the 11th round. Murdoch now 24-2. and It was for the vacant WBO. Intercontinental super middleweight title Murdoch was down prior to the stoppage He got up and then the referee Waved it off um, A great fight you know I've got to say the The um, the start to the fight from Parker Was a little bit laboured He seemed to be a little bit flat He seemed to even perhaps um, You know look to me anyway A little bit tired after about three rounds I was quite um, quite shocked at that, but you know, Murdoch was a tough guy. He was better than I expected he'd be, and in the end, a good knockout win for Zach Parker, as I expected. I predicted he'd, he'd stop him. I just didn't think it'd go 11 rounds. He got the win, and you know that is all that matters. He'll gain experience from that. I think they're talking. Perhaps he may have um, um, broken a rib or something early on in the fight. Zach Parker. It's not the first time he's battled through an injury and come out with a with a win. This time, certainly deserved. Um, so yeah, all the best to, to Zach Parker, really, real bright future once again, I think that was some kind of eliminator, I think it was number one against number two, Murdoch I believe was number one, so he should be right in position now to box the WBO um, super middleweight world champion, who is of course um, Billy Joe Saunders, and moving up the card once again, the main event, Scott Quigg, he is retired on the back of this, it was his 40th fight, his record... Um, if he does indeed stay retired, will be 35-3 and three with two draws. John O'Carroll, the underdog on the night, now 18-1 and one with a draw. Half the amount of fights as Scott Quigg. Um, in the end, an 11th round TKO for 
um, for John O'Carroll, friend of the show. I was very, very pleased for him. I'm just going to run through the rounds real quick here. The first round, Carroll made Quig miss wildly time and time again. He seemed real, real sharp in there, Carroll, right from the off. And he picked Quig apart at times in that in that first round. He completely outdone him in all areas. Um, you know, you could see the confidence in his work. He was real focused as well. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. He was having a lot of success with his straight shots. Um, round two, a better round from Quig. He got on the front foot. He pushed Carroll back, but sometimes he'd be in range, but he'd faint too much. And Carroll would just flick out a jab and unsettle Quig. So the dynamic of the fight totally changed in the second round, but Quig didn't really capitalize on that position. So for me... Um, two rounds to zero for Carroll after two. Going into round three, another Carroll round. I was real impressed. He seemed to be much sharper than Quig. Like I say, Quig's timing did seem to be a little bit off. Um, I like the way Carroll would throw a lead hook and then um, immediately change the angle and just move away. You know, the single shots were working for him. Um, round four, another round for Carroll. The the cleaner the cleaner of the exchanges. Um, round five, Jono cut his right eye. Scott Quigg did have some success in the middle part of the round, but again, Carroll was able to outshine Quigg and steal the round for me. Carroll was also the guy with the quicker hands in there. It was quite evident to see. Um, Quigg, if anything, looked a bit a bit shocked even, I'd say, after five rounds. Um, round six, a better round from Quigg, but again, for me, a Carroll round. Round seven, again, Carroll was just beating Quigg to the punch time and time again. Round eight, pretty much more of the same. Round nine, um, at that point, I just kind of thought to myself, you've really got to give it to Quigg, you know. I remember in that Valdez fight, he showed heart like no other, and again, in this fight here against John O'Carroll, he showed no quit whatsoever. He's a, he's almost a little bit too brave for his own good, um, you know, but it just wasn't good enough. You know, it makes you wonder if that stint in the States um, had come back to bite Quig in the backside, you know, because uh, his career has been a little bit hit and miss over the last couple of years. Um, a clear round again for Carroll in round nine. Round ten, better from Scott Quig, who got read the right act in between rounds, but still a Carroll round. And then the 11th and final round, the towel came in. It was a hard decision for Joe Gallagher to make in the corner. I think probably because he, he, um, he probably knew that this would be um, Quig's last fight should he have lost, you know, and he still can hit hard, you know, he still had a puncher's chance, I guess, and um, Joe Gallagher, you know, like I say, it took him quite a while to throw that towel in, but, you know, I'm not excusing what he did, I'm not quite sure what I'd have done in that position, but it's very hard for us sitting here, you know, looking looking from the outside in, um, you know, Joe Gallagher knows his fighter better than we do. Joe Gallagher, you know, has has a brilliant bond with Scott Quigg better than we do. You know, he knows him. They're friends. They're almost like like father and son. You know, they've been through lots and lots of ups and downs. And it was a hard thing for him to do to throw the towel in. But he did in the end. And we shouldn't criticize him. You know, he did the right thing. Better late than never, they say. Um, that is it for that card there. I just want to come to you, Ayas. Did you... Uh, Want to say anything about any of those fights on that card? There, I mean, what I mean, like I said, good win for uh, what I mean, like, just elaborate on your point. What good great win for John O'Carroll. Um, I mean, I've, they have announced that Squat Quigg's actually retired. Um, I've read down something from Dan Raphael, but good luck to Squat. I mean, he's just yeah, he's accomplished everything, so good luck in the future, absolutely. And um, 
Moving out now to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. What a shocking, shocking result the main event ended with. Um, let's start, though, with the undercard. A few wins for prospects on the bill. Um, Zachary Ochoa now 21-1. and one, A unanimous decision over eight rounds for him against Angel Sarinara. Um... We had Effia Jagba, the undefeated Nigerian heavyweight, now 13-0. and 0. A TKO for him over nine rounds against Razvan Kajanu. Kajanu was down in round eight and nine. Um, and, of course, the big upset, the main event, Adam Kaunaki, friend of the show, 20-0 and 0, against Robert Hellenius, 29-3. Um, Kaunaki was down in the fourth round. That was where the TKO came, a humongous upset. I said it on last week's show. I said I don't even think I'd be staying up for the fight. It was that much of a mismatch. Um, and I'm holding my hands up, you know. Boxing is the most unpredictable sport in the world. It really, really is. Um, you know, the fight itself though, Kaunaki was in total control, you know, he really was, he was in, he was in total control, like I say, I did end up staying up for the fight in the end, and thank God I did, because the upset was just incredible, um, just like that, a heavyweight contender disappears, you know, um, the rematch is something that Kaunaki absolutely must go for, um, but like I say, you know, until the actual stoppage came, Kaunaki was the guy in control. He swarmed Hellenius at times. Hellenius was under serious pressure, and he wasn't dealing with it well. It seemed like the writing was on the wall, and then bang, in the fourth round, once again, Kaunaki was on the front foot applying the pressure. And then the pair were trading off, and down went Kaunaki, but it was ruled a slip, which was actually the wrong call when we saw the replay. And, um, of course, Kaunaki got straight back up. There was no 10 count, of course, because it wasn't ruled a knockdown, and Hellenius went straight on the attack, and because he, he must have known that he landed a credible shot, you know, he, he went straight on the attack, like I say, he swarmed Kaunaki, and he dropped him instantly, and then Kaunaki did get back up and beat the count, and again... Um, Hellenius just morphed into a man possessed and you know he just poured everything out there it was all adrenaline because prior to hurting Kaunaki Hellenius himself looked done to be completely honest he looked finished um, the one bad thing about Kaunaki of course we, we all knew this is that he gets hit too much but in saying that he is one of the most exciting fighters in the heavyweight division so ultimately he just couldn't keep Hellenius off of him and the referee stopped it as he was taking too much punishment too many clean shots like I say a shocking upset um, I mentioned earlier on about TJ Doheny losing this is probably on the same level really I mean Doheny was a you know a world champion with only one loss you know, he, he lost his world title last year. He's still very much in his prime, it would seem. And he lost against a guy who we've never heard of. Whereas Kaunaki, a guy coming up, looking look, looking excellent, you know. I actually thought his style would have been all wrong for Hellenius. And Hellenius, a guy we've seen many times before. Certainly at the tail end of his career. And then he just switched it on, you know. He actually looked in good shape. A lot of people are saying he looked in good shape. Um, I'm kind of copying that. But I think it was the haircut. You know, it was the haircut. He, he trimmed a bit of his hair off and he actually looked quite decent. You know, he scrubs up well, Hellenius. And, um, yeah, the Nordic nightmare 
um, certainly was a nightmare for Chris Ariola. The rematch needs to happen. Uh, sorry for Chris Ariola for um, Adam Kaunaki. The rematch needs to happen because um, Kaunaki is is now stuck between um, a rock and a hard place. It would seem. Uh, moving out now though to the Toyota Music Factory in Texas, USA. Over here, just one fight to mention: Evan Holyfield, the son of Evander. He's now four and zero. A unanimous decision for him over four rounds against Dylan Carlson, who is now. Now one and um, and one with a draw. So um, yeah, Evan Holyfield picks up a little win there. But that is it though for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF world title challenger. It is of course Mr. Callum Johnson. Callum, welcome back on the show, my man. How are you doing? Very good, my friend. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So, Callum, we last spoke back in um, March of last year, so it's pretty much been exactly a year um, since we last spoke. Obviously, at the time, you know, you'd recently boxed Baturbiev. You'd just knocked out Shawnee Munahan in the States. Um, you had some real momentum, it would seem. What has kept you out of the ring for over a year now? I uh, I got injured. I got injured. I got quite a um, bad injury on my shoulder, which kept me out, but you know, it's uh, it's one of them things that, what can you do? You know, I sort of, story of my life or story of my career, and it, you know, start, stop, start, stop, and I finally sort of getting some momentum, getting a bit of a name for myself, and then, you know, I've got another stumbling block, but it's something that I'm, I'm used to dealing with and something that I have dealt with, and, you know, I'm, I'm back now and I'm ready to I'm ready to go again, and hopefully, hopefully no, no more stumbling blocks. I'm touching wood for you right now. Um, yeah, you know, it's good to put that, of course, behind yourself. Again, since we last spoke, um, yeah, we haven't spoke since one of our other Brits challenged for a light heavyweight world title. What did you make of Anthony Yard's efforts against Kovalev, Cal? Um, I thought his effort was great. Um, I thought I thought he'd done well, uh, like you say, but, I mean, it's it's one of them. I thought, I thought he'd done well, but I thought Kovalev wasn't that great at the same time. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean I don't want to I don't want to I'm not here to sort of bad mouth I mean I thought he'd done well and what can I say I think I think he did well but he just wasn't good enough pretty similar to similar to me I suppose yeah I guess so I guess so um also, one of the, the great fights, really, of 2019, we got to see the unification between Baturbiev and Gavozdik. What did you make of that fight, Cal? Um, yeah, I mean, everyone was... I mean, Gavozdik was, like, kind of a favourite in a lot of people's eyes, but I could never understand why. And people was asking me my opinion, and I told everybody I'll stop him. And, and everyone was like, I just couldn't see what... I couldn't see what people, you know, I think... I think with my fight with him, I think a lot. It seemed like as if no one gave me any credit, and they just sort of dismissed him, if you like. Um, but I always, I always thought he would go through a project like that, and you know, although it, he got rounds ten, but for me, I mean, he never really looked like he was. Baturbi have always looked comfortable and in control, and it sort of, uh, sort of just controlled the fight from the from the opening bell, really. Yeah, like I say, it was a great fight. Um, so, on to yourself. I mean, your next fight's now been announced. It will be against Igor McCorkin for the EBU European title. May the 2nd is the date in Manchester on that white Pavekin yeah. undercard. Um, the date's yeah. finally been locked in. I mean, there were many rumours of different dates originally, which card it was going to land on and stuff like that. Um, why was there such a confusing, confusing period? Yeah. 
I'm totally, totally honest, mate. I have no idea. Um, it was going to be March the 7th, possibly. Then it was. Then I knew it was going to be March the 28th. Um, then I didn't really hear a lot anything else. And then I sort of found out it was going to be May the 2nd. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's only five weeks. And it's, you know, I just got to look at the positives. I've got an extra five weeks to, to work on things and, you know, get, get even stronger and even sharper and, and be five five weeks more prepared. So it's, it's probably a blessing, really. And what do you know about McCorkin? Obviously, his claim to fame in the pros is obviously the loss to Kovalev. But, you know, he showed a lot of resilience in that fight. He's a tough guy. Yeah, he looks a good fighter. It's a tough fight. It's, um, it is a tough fight. And like you say, as you say, against Kovalev, he got stopped by the cut. I mean, he was competitive in that fight. The bits I've seen of it, he looked like he was doing well. Um, you know, I've not watched too much of him just yet because, you know, we're still we're still quite a way away. But I know he's a, he's a Russian, he's a Southpaw. He's been European champion before. And so I'm up against it at the end of the day. Um but that, that's the kind of thing that will bring out the best of me. And, you know, I, I've, I've been up against the very best there is. So he, I'm sure he's got nothing to, to offer that I've not already seen uh, or already felt. And, you know, I, I'm going in there to do a job and, and that's all there is to it, really. Yeah, I remember watching his fight with Kovalev. You're right in in what you're saying. Obviously, the cut ended things. He has he has got a good chin. He can box. Not a massive puncher, but you know, a very well-rounded boxer, if you like. And another little factoid for those that may not know: he beat Baturbiev three times in the amateurs. Um, oh, I never knew that. I never knew that myself. There you go. And um, without obviously looking too far ahead, Cal, if you were to get the win here, you become European champion. Can you see yourself defending the belt a few times, or are you just hoping to get right back for a world title shot as soon as? Honestly, honestly, that I really don't know. I mean, I would like to obviously jump straight in for a world title fight again, but you know, if I have to defend it, I'll have to defend it. I mean, it's at the end of the day, I've got to win it first. You know, it's no easy task. And, you know, I've got to solely focus on that and not really worry about what's after because without without winning it, nothing nothing's going to come after anyway. So, you know, I've got I've got to concentrate on what I've got to do. And my last real question for you now, um, a little bit of a fun question, if you like. At light heavyweight here in Britain, we've got um, we've got four guys world ranked with the with a you know with a sanctioning bodies. Where would you rank those guys from one to four? I'm guessing you'd put yourself at number one. Who'd be two, three, and yeah. four out of Yard, Craig Richards, and Josh Buatzi? Um Josh Buatzi, then Yard, then Richards. Interesting. There's 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 fighters um, there's fighters in Britain that's better than Craig Richards anyway. Like that's not ranked there anyway. So I wouldn't put Craig Richards at number four personally. But there you go. Okay, okay. And just finally, Callum. Like I said, we haven't spoke for quite a while. It's been a frustrating period. If you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we let you go, say whatever you like, my friend. Ah, oh, nothing really. Just. Uh, Tune in May the 2nd and uh, hopefully I can put on a, an explosive display for everybody again and you know hopefully you can see, see some knockouts, get that power off. Get that power off, you always do. Listen Callum, it has been fantastic catching up with you once again. Best of luck for May 2nd in Manchester and we'll hopefully catch up oh, sometime sure. after. I appreciate it, thank you very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part of course the news part of the show. Ayaz, what you got for us? Yes, Alexander Usyk will face Derek Chisora on on May 23rd at the O2 Arena. Yeah, it's going to be on pay-per-view, obviously, because of that, there's been a lot of backlash. 
Um, I just want to say, you know, the fight itself, no way in the world is it a pay-per-view fight. But the the thing is, with these, with these, um, not all, but some of these pay-per-view cards, um, you know, the whole card is the pay-per-view thing. It's not just the one fight. So when Anthony Joshua fights, no matter what's on the undercard, it's a pay-per-view, you know, it's a pay-per-view night. It is what it is. But with this, I think Eddie Hearn... Um, you know, will put on a real big undercard because I think he knows in his heart of hearts that this isn't a pay-per-view standalone fight here. No way. So I think there'll be a juicy and beefy undercard, but he hasn't announced anything yet. So um, I'm not going to start criticizing it just yet. Um, if the undercard isn't that good, then yeah, I'll be criticizing it. But the fight itself, a good fight, um, a decent fight. You know, we're going to find out a lot about Usyk because Chisora, if if nothing else, is very durable. But I can see it being a little bit like Tyson Fury in the rematch against um, Chisora. You know, I think he's going to, I think um, Usyk's going to show too many angles and just start really picking him apart. He's not as big as Tyson Fury, of course, but I can still see him picking him apart. You know, Usyk very much in his prime, you'd have to say, and. Chisora, no matter what anyone says, he's past his prime for me, you know. Those better years are behind him, you know. He wouldn't go 11 rounds or 12 rounds or whatever it was with um, Vitaly Klitschko nowadays. No way. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, Clarissa Shields will face Marie-Yves Decay to unify the WBA, WBC, IBF and WBO Super Worldwide title. Yeah, for all the belts at 154, Clarissa Shields... um, Hanging around at 154, actually, you know, I thought she was just going to pick up the one belt when she boxed in January in Atlantic City when I was at the fight. But um, yeah, she's 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 trying to get um, you know more belts while she's at the weight. Even though I think she's kind of a little bit depleted being at that weight, you know, she's a phenomenal fighter. And um, someone said online that if she was to win this fight, she'd have more belts than she'd have fights, which is just incredible. If that's true, I haven't checked it out. But yeah, all the best to Clarissa, um, obviously a friend of the show. Yes, David Benavides will face Roma Angula for the WBC Super Middleweight title on April the 18th. Yeah, I think Benavides was supposed to box someone else and then... um... I think I'm. I don't think I'm making this up, but I think he was supposed to box someone else, and then for whatever reason, that fight didn't end up taking place. And then he boxes Roma Alexis Angulo, who of course is the guy that upset. Um, he upset um, Anthony. What's his name again? Anthony. Um, is it Anthony? Anthony Sims Jr. Yeah, the uh, the Eddie Hearn prospect the guy from from the states yeah he upset him on an undercard recently so um yeah off the back of that somehow he's managed to get himself in line to fight to, uh, to fight benavidez but benavidez should smash him to pieces really um so yeah don't really see him putting up much of a much of a threat to benavidez benavidez one of the best 168 pounders in the world barn you know bar none really he's one of the best one of the top two or three Yep. Jose Ramirez will face Victor Poster for the WBC and WBO Super Lightweight out on May the 9th at the Save Mart Center. Yeah, trying to get Jose Ramirez on the podcast at some point in the in the near future, hopefully before the fight. Um, yeah, it's, it's been rescheduled. Obviously, it's going to be a cracking fight. I, I was really looking forward to it the first time around when it was supposed to take place in, I think it was Japan or China. I think it was China, yeah. And then, of course, it, you know, it got um, postponed due to the coronavirus. So, uh, yeah, all the best to, to both guys in that one. Um, it's going to be a good fight, you know. I've said it before, Ramirez at times has struggled with boxers and Victor Postel's one of the best boxers at 140, so that's no given for me. A lot of people disagree, but for me, that's a tough fight for Ramirez. 
Philip Hergovic will face Jerry Forrest in a heavyweight clash on the undercard of Progress vs. Hooker, um, April 17. Danny Yunusinov will also be on the undercard where he face uh, Julius Indongo. Yeah, I particularly like that 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 fight there for Yulusinov. Um, obviously, we know an Olympic gold medalist, a fantastic amateur, turn pro. Um, at times, he hasn't really looked that special, you know. But I like this fight against Julius Indongo. Um, obviously, Indongo, a man that's been a world champion, a guy that's got a ton more experience than Yulusinov in the pro ranks, and that could be Yulusinov's undoing here. Um, Indongo. For all the disrespect he gets, he doesn't really deserve it. You know, you look at his um, his resume. He lost, of course, to Regis Progre in bad fashion. He lost to Terence Crawford, but he's not a bad fighter at all. And um, if Daniel Yelusinov isn't on his A game, he loses this fight. And I actually think it's it's um, quite a what's the word I'm looking for? Quite a um, the opposite to a calculated risk. I think it's a big risk boxing someone like Indongo. You know, he's massive for the weight and um, he can be quite a danger man. So that is a tough fight there. Okay, Joe Goosen has announced that he will now be training Kubrat Pulev. Interesting, of course. Joe Goosen, um, you know, world-renowned trainer. He's going to be with Pulev in the corner for the Joshua fight. Um, he's a character, Joe Goosen. I, I got a lot of time for him. Um, yeah, you know. He knows his boxing as well, so if he can add anything to that fight, then uh, that would be interesting. But all the best to him and, and Pulev. Uh, Lee Selby will face George Cambos Jr. in IBF light, lightweight final eliminator on May 9th at the Motorpoint Arena in Cardiff. Joe Cordino will be also on the undercount, and it's James Tennyson v Gavin Quinn and Chris Billum Smith v Nathan Forley. Yeah, let's talk about um, Lee Selby against Cambosos Jr. Lee Selby, obviously a former world champion at featherweight. He's moved up two um, weight classes because he was killing himself to make um, 126. Fair enough to, to Lee Selby. Um, a, a brilliant fighter he was. He was a true world-class fighter at 126. Some people like to you know disrespect his reign and stuff like that. He was a good fighter, man. He beat some real good fighters in his time as a champion he moved up two weight classes because he was killing himself to make the weight we were all expecting a stronger a fitter um a bigger punch in lee selby but since he's moved up he's had the two fights one against omar douglas on the undercard of eubank and DeGale, and um to be honest, you know, he, he didn't look good that night at all. It was a close fight, way too competitive. He then boxed Ricky Burns, another fight which I don't think he, um, you know, he won super convincingly, you know. So this is a tough fight here against George Cambosos Jr., just coming off a win against Mickey Bay, former world champion. And um, George Cambosos Jr. has been on the show once before. Nice guy. Um, but yeah, you know, he's been sparring hundreds of rounds with Manny Pacquiao, and this is a tough, tough fight. He's young, he's hungry, and um, he's got quick hands and the rest of it. It's a tough fight, that, for Lee Selby. But you'd have to, you'd have to, um, I'm kind of going a little bit here with heart as well. I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Lee Selby to, 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 to perhaps win that one just because of the experience and stuff like that and the fact that he's boxing back in Cardiff for the first time in six years. Yep, and that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving on to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here, a card that takes place on Saturday at the Brian Glazer Family JCC Auditorium in Tampa, Florida, USA. Very strange venue, but friend of the show, Wilkie Campfoot. Um, I believe he boxed for the world title against 
Jamal Charlo, I think. Anyway, he is back here, 25 and 3. He takes on Christian Santa, who's 16 and 14 with two draws over six rounds. That one there. Also on the bill, heavyweight Lemroy Thomas makes a return to the ring in an eight rounder against Alfredo Trevino. Moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, USA. This one, of course, um, you know, a top ranked show. Um, we get to see over here Shakur Stevenson, 13-0, and defend his WBO World Featherweight title against Miguel Mariaga. Uh, Mariaga, obviously, better known, really, for his losses to Lomachenko, to Oscar Valdez, and to Nicholas Walters. Only one of those three guys, though, put him away, and that was... Lomachenko when he decided to retire on his store after seven rounds but you know he gave a decent fight to Lomachenko he gave a decent fight to Oscar Valdez and um, he didn't really give a decent account against Nicholas Waters to be honest but you know he's a he's a good fighter he's a big big puncher it's a test again for Shakur Stevenson a lot of people were criticizing this one when it got announced I couldn't understand why it's um it's, it's a very good first defense in my opinion and um, I know that Shakur Stevenson will be trying to get him out of there quicker than Lomachenko. And um, if he does that, then he makes a statement. It's as simple as that, you know. As boxing fans, we should get behind Shakur Stevenson. If you don't like him outside of the ring, that's absolutely fine. But what he does inside of the ring, you know, he does the right things. He wants the big fights. He's calling out the big names. And um, he'll fight anyone, you know. And he, he, he's got an exciting style. Um, I knew he was going to be, you know, a, a dead certain world champion when he turned pro. And he's already delivered on that. Um, also on the undercard, we get to see Jesse Magdaleno, 27-1, and one, take on Sakaria Lucas, who's 23-0. and 0. That's over 10 rounds there. Um, Sakaria Lucas, another kind of um, unknown, really, from Namibia. We mentioned in Dongo a few minutes ago. He's kind of of that same, um, you know, that same kind of category. Obviously not really proven on the world stage like Ndongo was, but this guy could be very good. 23-0, 16 KOs. Jesse Magdaleno, if he hasn't trained properly, could be quite a tough ask there. Um, moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre. So the same venue as the Shakur Stevenson fight, but this one actually takes place on Tuesday, the 17th of March. So by the time the show goes out next week this fight would have already taken place um, it's going to be of course St Paddy's Day of course who who else to be headlining apart from Michael Conlon Michael Conlon 13 and 0 he takes on Belmar Preciado who's 20 and 2 with a draw um, 13 KOs he's got a loss to Hirosigi Osara and he's also got a loss to Maurizio Martinez two unknowns really um, the one standout name, I guess, on his on his record is Franklin um, Manzanilla, who he actually beat in a split decision over eight rounds. I think at one point Manzanilla was supposed to be boxing Shakur Stevenson, but the fight never really happened. Um, but he's not a brilliant fighter anyway, so uh, it's another mismatch, really. Another fight there for Conlon to look good in. There's no details as of yet about the undercard, so I can't really speak on that. Um, so yeah, that's the preview part done very quickly. That is it then for all the talking this week. The final thing to do from myself is to welcome, just before we wrap up part two, our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF featherweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Lee Selby. Lee, welcome back on the show, my man. 
Nice one, thanks for having me. Mate. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Lee. So we last spoke back in September, just before the Ricky Burns fight. Um, how did you kind of assess your performance that night, Lee? Um, it was a decent performance against you know a quality operator. You know, Ricky Burns, obviously a, a pre-weight world champion, wealth of experience, knew all the little tricks. He'd been been in with top class, top class fighters. And yeah, I thought it was a decent, decent performance against a quality opponent. And obviously, you know, you were a true class, a true world class fighter at featherweight. You know, your boxing on the outside, yeah. your slickness, your footwork, just your overall skills, um, arguably second to none at featherweight. But as we know, you were killing yourself to make the weight so much so that you moved up not one but two weight classes. You had the fight with Omar Douglas. I think you admitted yourself it wasn't one of your best nights. Then the fight with Ricky Burns. Um, it, it shouldn't have been a majority decision in my eyes. I thought you won clear. But do you feel you've made the impact on the lightweight division that you thought you'd make, Lee? Um, not really, no. You know, the, fir- the first fight with Omar Douglas, you know, not, not a lot of, not, well, the British fans didn't really know him, but he, he was a top fighter. I got cut badly over both eyes, so I had to scrape through that one. But he, he was a top fighter. All you got to do is look back at some of his fights on YouTube, you can see he's a dangerous puncher, putting them away with the left hook. So he was a quality operator. And like I said, I was cut over both eyes, so it was a bit of a struggle. And then Ricky Burns, like, no no one's, like, convincingly beat Ricky Burns, like, like a shutout. You know, Terence Crawford, he lost to Terence Crawford, but still won, like, a massive, massive, like, he didn't, like, give him an idol or nothing. He was still competitive all the way through the fight. So he, he was a good fighter. And I, I didn't, you know, there was times in the fight where I, I could have stepped on the gas and I, I, I didn't execute as, as well as I should have. But hopefully in this, this next fight, it all comes together. I can win this and, and I'm back in the water. And you mentioned your next fight. Um, let's start with the location back in Wales in Cardiff for the first time in six years. How will it feel to be back and will it force you to raise your game slightly, Lee? Oh, it'll, it'll be great. Not not just for myself, but for the Welsh fans. You know, they they've travelled all around the country, mainly up to the O2 Arena, and you know it's it's quite expensive to tra- to travel up, stay overnight in a hotel, pay for the fight tickets. So so it'd be good to give back to them, and you know coming out to your home fans, cheering you on, it's it's bound to give me that lift. And of course, your boxing George Cambosos Jr., a guy that you know we know has done hundreds of rounds sparring Manny Pacquiao. He's undefeated in eighteen fights. He's a highly touted young fighter. Um, do you know much more about him, or do you not know too much? Um, yeah, I, I know enough. I've I've, um, I've seen him on YouTube. He's really untested. You know, his best win was against Mickey Bay, who was a former world champion, and I watched him win win the title actually. And he was sort of like gifted, no disrespect to Mickey Bay, he's a good fighter, but he sort of got gifted the the title. I think he boxed, yeah, he boxed Miguel Vasquez, got gifted the title, and he lost in his first defence. And like, yeah, he had a um, a close fight. It was, yeah, a majority fight, a majority decision. It could have went either way. I think the Cambosis scored a knockdown, and that, that was a decider. And, you know, Mickey Bay, he's like, he might have been like 36 years old, years old. he'd been inactive. And he had a really close fight with him. Yeah, I've seen Cambosa saying he's going to knock me out and he's going to do this. And like, surely you can't think like Mickey Bay is a better fighter than I am. All you got to do is look at my accolades and my achievements to just see I'm a better fighter. And also, I've shared the ring only a few rounds, sparring in a wildcard with him. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, back in 2017. 
Okay, that is interesting. How did that go, or can you not really speak much on it? Same as always. Same as always. You know, he, he, he squared before, I'll be honest, he squared before me, he did look good. He, he squared with a Scottish fighter who was a southpaw. He'd had to, he hadn't had any pro fights, I don't think. He's, he's still an amateur. And of course, you're, you're open to a, to a right uppercut as a southpaw. And um, George Campos throws a good uppercut in close. And he kept it in the boy with um, the uppercut, bloodied up his nose, and he did look good. So I so I up my game, and it just went like, oh, this fan always goes, and we just out of boxing. And a statement that, that George said, he said, Lee Selby's already been a world champion. He's lost the hunger. I want him to remember when he was a 26-year-old hungry fighter just before he won his world title. That hunger he had is the hunger that I have now. Um, I'm going to kind of react to that and say, to be honest, Lee, I think if you'd have lost your hunger, I don't think you'd still be boxing. I don't think you're the type of guy that would hang well, around longer than, you know, after your hunger runs out. If, 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 I, didn't, if I didn't want to be boxing, or I'm financially secure, I've, I've earned a fortune through boxing. And like, I've invested my money. I've got loads of properties and stuff. So I've got a regular income coming in. So I, I don't need to box. I do it because I want to box. And like, if he's hungry, I'll feed him as much as as he likes. <laughs> And we didn't actually get to see you both do a face-off at the press conference, but um, if the online stats are correct, you'll be giving away a slight height advantage, probably for one of the first times in your career. Um, if if the stats are right, does that change anything at all, Lee? Well, it would, but, but the stats ain't right. No <laughs> the stats are never right. I think you're a lot taller than it says you are. Well, <laughs> well, for, for years, I was five foot five and a half on box rec. So, like... I can I can see the look on my opponent's face when they turned up and meet me. They have the head to head, and then they got like a five foot nine guy in front of them. They were they were shocked. They were expecting a five foot five midget. Um, yeah, they're wrong. I'm I'm the bigger guy, and I'll be the bigger guy in the match. I like how you say you say they see a guy that's about five foot nine. You're still not even telling us the true height. We'll leave it a secret. Um, a win here, Lee, is is always important. But is there any more importance to get the win in this fight in particular at all? Well, it's the most important fight in my career. If I win this, I'm back back in a world title fight, which could be a super fight with either Tio Pomo Lopez or Vasily Lomachenko. So it's the most important fight in my career. At this stage of my career, it's, it's a must-win fight. And last time we spoke, I'm pretty sure you predicted that Shakur Stevenson would take over the featherweight division. I'm pretty sure you said that. Um, that was before he'd actually become a world champion. Now he is one. But I saw a statement earlier this week that you had said Kid Galahad's the best featherweight in the world. Which one is it? <laughs> well, the, the guy who asked me, he was on about the British fighters. You mentioned okay. Carl and Josh Warrington. And yeah, so... Well, I say I say Kid Galahad, okay. but um, that'd be a great matchup, Shakira Stevenson and, and Kid Galahad. Okay, I got you. Be a great fight. I got you. And now that you're a lightweight, I must ask: um, Should the top rank super fight take place, Tiafimo Lopez versus Vasily Lomachenko, you're you're eyeing up the winner. How do you see that fight unfolding, though, if they were to dance? Um, it's it's a difficult one. You know, Lomachenko will be the will be the favourite, but Tiafimo Lopez he's younger, he's fresher, he's he's a dangerous puncher. And you can box. So, um, I'd have to say it's a 60 40 to Lomachenko, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tio Pomo pulled it off. Okie dokie. And as always, whenever we speak, I must ask about your brother Andrew. How is he? And when will we hear yeah. an announcement about um, his next fight? To be honest, I'm not, I'm not too sure what, what he's up to at the minute. I'm not too sure. You'd have to give him a bell and see what he's saying. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. All right, Lee, yeah. and just finally, my man, any closing words before we let you go? Um, just same as usual. Thanks, to, thanks to the fans for their their continued support, and um, 
I'm going to try and bring my best on Friday night and give you all a good show. Listen, Lee, it is always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. I truly mean that. Best of luck for May yeah, 9th. Thank you. And we'll catch up sometime after. Nice one. Thank you very much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 230 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former IBF featherweight world champion Lee Selby and the former IBF light heavyweight world title challenger Callum Johnson. The prediction league after last weekend remains exactly the same. We all backed Scott Quigg to beat John O'Carroll on points, so no one gained anything there. Um, there will be the prediction leagues coming back real 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 soon enjoy your weekends though people that is everything from me thank you all again for listening and we shall see you all again next week